Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Okay, so the reading today is found in Jeremiah 13. On, in the Pew Bible, it's page 746. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist, but do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt, as the Lord directed, and I put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are, and are wearing around your waist and go to Parath and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it at Parath as the Lord told me. Many days later, the Lord said to me, Go now to Parath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Parath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it, but now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. And then the next one is John 15, 5 through 6, and it is on page 1046 in the Pew Bible. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The book of Jeremiah is not a success story. The prophet Jeremiah was shunned. He was abused. He was ridiculed for speaking the word of the Lord. People didn't want to hear it, and they let him know that they didn't want to hear it. But through all the mistreatment, Jeremiah remained unbroken. The title of this sermon series comes from that recently published book, Unbroken, which chronicles the life of a World War II veteran, Louis Zamperini, who survived 47 days on a raft in the Pacific Ocean after being shot down in World War II from his plane, and then survived two and a half brutal years in Japanese prison camps. Jeremiah was beat up, sometimes angry with God, heartbroken, exasperated. His life wasn't easy, and what the Lord asked him to do wasn't fun. At one point, Jeremiah, his frustration complains to the Lord. Actually, in Jeremiah, he does that a lot. But at one particular point, he tells the Lord how, you know, he's done everything the Lord has wanted him to do. And then he asks God, why is my pain unceasing? My wound is incurable, refusing to be healed. Then he takes his finger and he points it at God. And he says, 
Truly, you are to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail. You're like a well that ran dry on me. You're like a mirage. I thought there was water and you didn't come through for me. He just gets so frustrated with God that in essence, he says, you lied to me. He accuses the Lord of drawing him in and then Jeremiah gets hammered. Well, the Lord says to Jeremiah, I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. And the Lord was with Jeremiah every step of the hard, painful way. And Jeremiah didn't break. Again, I point us to Rembrandt's famous painting of of Jeremiah that we're using uh, in this series. The story of Jeremiah doesn't end well. The city of Jerusalem eventually is destroyed. And if we could see that entire painting, we've just taken a part of it. Uh, But if you've seen the entire painting or you look at it maybe on, on a website or in a book, And the detail, you'll see Rembrandt uh, shows Jeremiah wearily leaning on a Bible. You can kind of see the Bible there. But in the background, the city of Jerusalem is burning. Jeremiah preached. No one listened. The result is exactly what Jeremiah was trying to stave off. God brings his judgment eventually on his rebellious people. But God's judgment is always with the intention of of his wider mercy. God never tears down except to build up. God never uproots except to replant. His judgment always comes with the intent of showing his wider mercy. Jeremiah was a prophet. Now, what is the role of a prophet exactly? I mean, I mean that in the Old Testament sense of a prophet. Prophets received, they spoke the word of the Lord. Notice how often the phrase, the word of the Lord, is used in the books of the prophets and certainly in the book of Jeremiah. In today's passage, there are two references to the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah and there are two other references when um, he says the Lord spoke to him. In chapter 1, the Lord calls Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations and the Lord tells Jeremiah to say whatever he commands him to say, And then the Lord touches his mouth and says, I am putting my words in your mouth, Jeremiah. Prophets don't speak for themselves. They speak for the Lord. A favorite phrase of the prophets is thus says the Lord. It is to emphasize. No, they're not making this up. Jeremiah is the mouth of the Lord. To be a prophet was a heavy calling. They received the words of the Lord. They spoke the words of the Lord. And one of the unique features about the prophet Jeremiah and his ministry and what God did with him as he communicated is that sometimes the words of the Lord came in visual metaphors, in in word pictures. And Jeremiah was to give the message of these visuals that the word was giving. Um, Kathy Terrian, and Kathy Terrian, many of you know her, long time here and she's our assistant for pastoral care we were visiting this week we try to stay in touch and uh, Kathy said she was sure at the end of our meeting she just kind of offhand said well 
enjoying Jeremiah. I'm sure I have no idea what's coming in this week's sermon. Well, this message is about the Lord speaking through his people, to his people, through dirty underwear. I'm pretty sure Kathy had no idea what she said, what she, how much she really meant it, when she had no idea what was coming. The Lord gives a message to Jeremiah through a loincloth or a linen belt, which is really the underwear of people in 6th century B.C., Judah and Israel. You heard the reading. The Lord said to Jeremiah, go buy a loincloth, go, go, go buy a linen belt, uh, which is really just underwear. And Jeremiah was to buy that loincloth. He did exactly what the Lord said, and he was to wear it, put it on. He wore it. And then the Lord speaks again to Jeremiah, and he says, take the underwear, bury it in a crevice, in a rock, in a designated place. And then after a long period of time, the Lord tells Jeremiah, go dig up that underwear. He does this. And it's completely rotted. Holes in it. Maggots. Good for nothing. Good for nothing. You know, I'm no expert in in the sacred scriptures of all the different faiths. I mean, you know... I don't know all the scriptures of Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Mormonism and and the like I've I've read here and there. But I am pretty sure there's nothing like this in any of those writings. The Lord communicating to his people through a decrepit pair of underwear is just one example, among others, of how absolutely different the Bible is from any other religious texts Other sacred writings have some very nice principles and some narratives that are often heroic or very redeeming, and they are quite, well, they're religious, but do any of them have a story about their God speaking to his people through dirty underwear? And you know what it convicts me of? It convicts me of how uncontrived this God is. And how utterly unique our scriptures are. You you, you can't just make this stuff up. And this stuff isn't just a product of great religious minds. This is something more. Our God is surprising and he will not be contained in a religious box. What's the point of the dirty underwear? They were to be a visual sermon. And the lesson was that just as the underwear was ruined, so the Lord was going to ruin the pride. The pride of the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem. The people had become decrepit because of their pride. They refused to listen to the Lord's words. They'd become stubborn in their own hearts, and they were serving and worshiping other gods. As a result, the people will become, God says through Jeremiah, like that pair of underwear that Jeremiah bought and wore and buried and dug up just to find them rotted and useless. Pride. Pride is thinking we know a better way. Pride is justifying ourselves and declaring our own self-sufficiency apart from the Lord. Pride is doing what we want to do regardless of the Lord or anyone else. Pride glories in itself. Pride swells up. It blocks the view 
of the light of God's truth so that we can't even see it anymore. Later in Jeremiah 13, the prophet says, if the people don't listen to this sermon from the rotted underwear, he will weep, he will cry because of their pride, and he will weep because of their ruin, and they will be taken captive. How does pride manifest itself? When we think we're doing just fine on our own, that's pride. When we think that we don't need to meet with God like this every week and we don't need others, we don't need the church, we don't need the community of faith, that's pride. When we don't think we need to turn every, every part of our life over to the Lord, that's pride. When we build a wall around our heart from everybody else, that's pride. When we think we can travel through life pretty much Trusting ourselves, that's pride. Pride is to declare life apart from the Lord. We boast in our self-sufficiency. In Jeremiah chapter 9, we find this. The prophet says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. If we want to boast, we can boast about knowing the Lord. Pride is not just outward arrogance. It can be deeply subtle. Deeply subtle. John Climacus was a monk, Christian monk in the 6th and 7th century, lived on Mount Sinai, and he said this about pride. Pride is a denial of God, an invention of the devil, contempt for other people. It is the mother of condemnation, the offspring of praise, a sign of barrenness. It is a flight from God's help, the harbinger of madness, the author of downfall. It is the cause of diabolical possession, the source of anger, the gateway of hypocrisy. It is the fortress of demons, the custodian of sins, the source of hard-heartedness. It is the denial of compassion, a bitter Pharisee, a cruel judge. It is the foe of God. It is the root of blasphemy. And pride is thinking that that applies to someone else and not myself. In Proverbs, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's where the saying, pride cometh before the fall comes from, popularized saying. Well, that dirty underwear. I mean, couldn't the Lord have gotten the message across without that? Maybe a three-point sermon from Jeremiah. Just say it. Just the words, maybe. You don't have to demonstrate it. Well, the living and true God will not be tamed. And he has something to get across. Think about a loincloth. Think about underwear. It's private. It's personal. It's intimate. It's it's something that we just don't go flashing around. We don't go flashing our underwear around, do we? It's why when I was a youth leader in my younger years at the church I was going to, the kids in our youth group had such fun 
when I encouraged them one day to steal the underwear of our youth pastor, and we hoisted it up on the flagpole at a weekend retreat while we all stood at salute. We thought it was a scream, and you should have seen the face of the youth pastor when he came up, and his skivvies are flying high on the flagpole. You see, raising a sweatshirt would not have the same effect, would it? That's the thing about underwear. The Lord is speaking to his people not only about their pride, but also about the type of relationship that he wants them to have with him. He has made them and he wants them to cling to him. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bind all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. I also like the New Revised Standard Version, the way it reads. For as the loincloth clings to one's loins, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, says the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. If pride is to declare that we don't need the Lord, then to cling is to declare our absolute dependency on Him. The word for bound that the NIV uses, the New Revised Standard Version and many other versions use cling. Uh, in the Old Testament, it suggests loyalty. It suggests obedience. Uh, it means to be close. It's the word used in Genesis 2 when God speaks of a man leaving his father and mother and he clings to his wife. It's the word Moses uses when he tells Israel, you shall fear the Lord your God, him alone you shall worship, to him you shall cling, you shall hold fast to him. It's the word used to describe Ruth. Remember Ruth? When she refuses to leave her mother-in-law Naomi, even though life has become very hard, and Naomi tells her to leave her and make a better life for herself, it says Ruth, clung to her. And then Ruth expresses her clinging with these words. Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die there and I will be buried with you. And may the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Imagine if that were our vow to the Lord. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything without you. The word is used to describe King Hezekiah who trusted in the Lord God of Israel. It says he clung to the Lord, not departing from following him, but keeping his commandments. The word is used of how a hand grasps a sword. And the word is used by King David in Psalm 63 when he prays his dependency on God and he says, my soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. Maybe a modern day picture of this is how some of you uh, are into rock climbing. huh? And, um, you know, you use all your strength to do that, to, to hold on, to cling to that rock. Stop clinging and what happens? It's not good, is it? Um, or the, maybe a picture is the way a child clings to the mother or father, arms around the neck, in their lap or in their arms, holding on to them. To be bound or cling is to trust, 
to rely, to hold on to the Lord fiercely. The Lord wants us to stay close to Him, to stick to Him as close as underwear clings to the body. Poignant image, eh? The Lord certainly knows how to get a point across. Now, Jesus said, He's the vine, we are the branches. Break, break a branch off the vine and it dies. The vine gives the branch its life. And he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless a person remains, clings, stays close and connected to the Lord, we can do nothing. Oh, we'll, we'll be able to live and breathe. We'll be able to make money and advance and build a reputation and do any number of things. But in terms of bearing fruit for the Lord, the things that he's looking for in our lives, it won't happen apart from him. And as we remain in him and cling to him, love and justice and goodness and all the other things that really matter to the Lord will grow. We will bear much fruit. We won't be useless. We will be useful for the Lord, which is why we turn our lives over to Christ and we stay close, stay close. And Jeremiah says the Lord has made the people cling to him so that they will be a renown and a praise and bring honor to the Lord. Israel was created to bring glory to the Lord. You know, the mission of the church is no different. We are created to show off God, to be useful. Well, the opposite of pride is humility, maybe. We humbly submit our lives to the glory of God. We ask, Lord, how can I be yours? God has made us cling to him as close as underwear to our loins. He wants us listening. He wants us paying attention. He wants us relying. He wants us seeking. He wants us asking. He wants us obeying. You know, if you find the circumstances of life are really hard right now, and you're having to really hold on and cling to the Lord, it may not feel good, but you are exactly in the place and maybe in no better place than you can possibly be. Let's pray. Lord God, you have made us cling to you. So keep us from prideful self-sufficiency and lead us to cling in deep reliance on you. Forgive our pride. Make us useful for the glory of your name. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. Take these hands.